Well, hey, look, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called Parables, where we're looking at uh, some of the parables or stories that Jesus taught in the New Testament. And so far, we've, we've looked at two. We looked at the parable of the prodigal son. Pastor um, Bobby Kirchner preached on that a couple weeks ago. It was unbelievable and great message. And then last week, I taught on the parable of the four soils. And today, we're going to look at the parable that, without a doubt, is the weirdest uh, certainly the most misunderstood parable of all, and that's the parable of the shrewd manager. Uh, but before I get into it, let, let, let me set it up a, a bit, okay? Jesus said this in John chapter 10, okay? One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Jesus said that the thief's purpose, the devil's purpose, the demon's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That, that's his job description, that's all the enemy wants to do is somehow mess up your life, mess up your marriage, mess up your kids, mess up your parents, mess up your business. That, that's the job description, if you will, of the enemy. But Jesus said that my purpose is way different than that. My purpose is to give them, you, a rich and satisfying life. Beloved, Jesus came to give you a great life, an unbelievable life, a rich and satisfying life. And certainly we will experience that life uh, when we get to glory, no doubt about that. But he also wants us to experience that life down here on planet Earth. The bummer is, is that too many Christians never experience this life. Their life is anything but rich and satisfying. And one of the reasons Christians don't experience this life that Jesus came to give them is because they got their finances all messed up. They're in financial bondage. Many of you are here today over in the venue watching online, the radio or whatever, and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, he's talking to me. You're a follower of Jesus. But your finances are goofed up. You're maybe in bondage to to, to you know, some financial mess that you're in. Did you know that about 15% of everything that Jesus talked about had to do with money, had to do with wealth, had to do with your possessions? About 15% of everything that Jesus talked about had to do with money, wealth, or possessions. In fact, he talked about money and wealth more than he talked about heaven or hell. Why? Why is it? Why did Jesus, why does God's word have so much to say about money, our finances, our wealth, our, our possessions? Well, it's not because God needs your money. God, God wasn't waiting for that little green basket to go by and, you know, when all of it's added up, somehow he's going to be sitting in heaven tomorrow going, okay, whew, got enough money, I can pay my bills now. Obviously, God doesn't need your money. You, 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 don't, you don't give because the church needs your money. Now, in some practical sense, uh, money is important to us. Uh, aren't you glad we don't have you sitting Indian style in here? Aren't you glad that we as elders have made a decision that, hey, why don't we buy people chairs so they can sit in? Aren't you glad that we decided to invest in a sound system so I don't have to yell? You're probably thankful that we have an air conditioning unit. Probably thankful that we have a heater. 
Probably thankful for a lot of the things on a practical sense where the shekels go that you, you give. But that isn't why God talked so much about money. The reason Jesus talked so much about money was because God knew how central it was to our lives and to the building of his kingdom. He knew how crucial it was to our spiritual health, our spiritual well-being, our, our spiritual development, if you will. God knows the tremendous influence and power that money or wealth has over our everyday lives, and so he wanted to make sure that we understood how to manage it wisely. Think about it. Think about all the time you put into making money. Think about all the time you put into earning money. Think about all the time you put into uh, spending money. You see, God knew how central money, wealth, was, was going to be to our lives. And so he wanted to make sure that we understood some, some principles. Because he came to give us a rich and satisfying life. And one of the reasons why many believers never experience that rich and satisfying life is because they've really not put into practice some of the biblical principles that God has shared as it relates to uh, our, our wealth. So with all this said, let, let, let's get into this parable and see what we, what we might learn. Okay, Luke chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the jumbotrons. I think most of these verses will be in your, in your notes. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have enough strength to, to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? The man replied, I, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, uh, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. Well, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and let's change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, 
Why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard this and they scoffed at him. And here's the deal. Some of you are already scoffing. And some of you are followers of Jesus. It's the nature of a topic like this. You're here, and you're going to gut it out, and you'll go get in your car, but you'll scoff at this message. You won't want to apply this message. You'll be thankful you can get home and turn on the game and try to get this message out of your mind. A lot of people, when they read this, believe that Jesus is somehow commending dishonesty. But that's not what he's doing. Jesus is simply using a, a crook, really a, a clever crook, as an example for something else totally unrelated to his dishonesty. I want everybody to look at verse 8, because that's the, the, the key passage, in, in my opinion. Verse 8 says, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world, that's unbelievers, are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. That's believers. That's what Jesus says. Wow. What's this about? What exactly is Jesus trying to say here? What, what, what's, what's he getting at in this parable? Well, basically he's saying that many unbelievers are, are wiser in how they manage their money or their wealth than believers are. Yes, they, they live by a different set of morals. They may live by a different set of, of, of principles. But Jesus said that how they manage their money a lot of times is way wiser than even how followers of Christ manage their money. He is not saying that we ought to be dishonest. Jesus isn't saying, be dishonest. He's not saying that. He, he's not commending this man on his morals or the principles. He's just simply commending this shrewd, rascal crook on being shrewd. And we all know people like that, don't we? I know people who I don't agree with their morals, I don't agree with their principles, or most of their life, you know, I look at their lifestyle and go, dude, I don't agree with anything, basically. But I can find something in their life that I go, dude, that guy does that well. Right? We all have people like that. That's all Jesus is doing in the story. A lot of people, when they read this, get all worked up and, oh, man, what's Jesus trying to say? Is he trying to say we're, we're to be dishonest? No, he's not trying to say that. He's just simply looking at a dirty, rotten crooks, uh, crook, a sinful loser, and he's saying, hey, look, I'm going to point one thing out that this guy does pretty well, that you can all learn from. Now I want you to look at, at verse 1 and 2. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. That makes sense, right? There's a guy who, who owns a whole bunch of stuff, and he's got a manager. 
One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. In other words, the manager was ripping off the boss, was ripping off the owner. So the employer called him in and said, hey, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because here's the deal. You're going to get fired. And I want you to zero in on that word manager for a moment. The crook, the guy that was shrewd, was a manager of somebody else's wealth. Proverbs chapter 24, or Psalms chapter 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In other words, God owns it all. He owns you, he owns me, he owns your business, he owns your 401k, he owns your house, he owns your car, he owns it all. It's all his stuff. Everything that I have on, my pants, my shirt, my watch, my glasses, everything that I own belongs to God. It's all his. All I am is a manager of whatever stuff he's chosen, chosen to give to, to me. It all belongs to him. He owns it all. The scriptures are crystal clear. And what he says is, is Rick, I'm going to give you a portion. I'm going to give you a piece of pie. And I want you to manage that piece of pie. Now, we live in a world today where we're always concerned about everybody else's piece, aren't we? See, somebody else has a bigger piece than I got. In fact, we live in a, in a culture where there are forces out there who want to take somebody who has a bigger piece of pie and redistribute it to those that have less of a pie piece. Here's the deal. In God's sovereignty, he gave you a piece. In God's sovereignty, he gave me a piece. Some of you have more than I have. Some of you have less than I have. Next year, I may have more than some of you that have more than me now. Some of you that have a lot now may have less next year. God's the one who gives us our piece of the pie. He's not a socialist. Some have more than others. And all he says is, don't worry about somebody else's piece. You just manage whatever it is I've given you. And I want you to know, there came a moment when this manager in the story had to go and stand before the boss, right? He had to give an account. And the same thing is true for us. Someday I'm going to stand before God and give an account for how I managed my piece of the pie. I'm not going to stand before God and give an account for my sin that's already been dealt with at the cross. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. My sins have been forgiven. I'm not going to stand before God and have to talk with God about my sin. Done deal. If you know the Lord, you won't talk to God about your sin. Done deal. But all of us, the Bible says, will stand before God just like the manager in this story, and we will have to give an account for how we managed whatever it is that God gave us. See, God's not going to ask me about your peace. I'm not going to stand before God and have to give an account for how you manage your peace. I'm only going to have to deal with how I manage my peace. Nothing wrong with wanting a bigger piece of the pie. Nothing wrong with that. 
But don't get so caught up in looking at what other people's piece of the pie is that you forget about managing whatever it is that God's given you right now. Because you will stand before God and you will give an account. And that's where rewards come in to, to, to play. Now in this particular situation, the, the man was a, a crook, as I said, he was a scoundrel, and he knew that he was gonna lose his job, so he comes up with a plan. It's really a, a clever plan. He comes up with this scheme. You see, we're told that he goes out and he finds some of the people that owed the owner a bunch of money, and he says, hey, how much do you owe? And one guy says, hey, I owe 800 gallons of, of oil. So this crook of a manager says, hey, I'll tell you what, let's cut the bill in half, make it 400 gallons, and we'll call it even, which was totally illegal. He had no right to cut the deal. He wasn't given permission to do this. It wasn't his oil to give away. It was owned by somebody else. He was just supposed to manage it. He's ripping off the owner. Then he goes to the next guy and he says, hey, how much do you owe? And the guy says, well, I owe a thousand bushels of wheat. And once again, this crook says, tell you what, let's make it 800 bushels and we'll call it even. Which, which once again, folks, it was illegal. He had no right to cut this deal. He wasn't given permission to do this. It wasn't his wheat to give away. He was just supposed to manage it. He's ripping the owner off. So, you know, one guy he gives a 50% break to, and another guy he gives a 20% break to, and we don't know why he didn't make them both 50 or 20, but he had his reasons. But what we do know is that it was wrong. It was illegal. It was sinful. He was cheating the owner out of a lot of money. But why? Why is he doing this? Why is he cutting these deals? Why would he do that? Beloved, he was making friends with these guys so that when he finally loses his job, he won't end up on the unemployment line because one of these guys will probably take him in and give him a job. They'd remember, hey, that guy really cut me a good deal. Poor guy lost his job, I'm gonna take him in. And if they didn't take him in, you know what he'd do? Blackmail him. Because they went along with the plan that was illegal. He had these guys over a barrel. He knew once I lose my job, man, I won't be on the unemployment line because I've cut these deals with them. They're gonna like me. Or worst case scenario is they'll know I can blackmail them. Now though this was crummy and illegal and sinful, the Bible says that when the master found out about it, his reaction was totally unaccounted for. Once again, look at verse eight. The rich man, the owner, had to admire the dishonest rascal. Now, he's not saying that he liked what he did. He's not commending him on his sin. He's just going, man, that guy, man, that guy's one shrewd guy. <laughs> but what did he do that was so shrewd? Well, here's the deal. I'm gonna give you three things real quick. Three things that he did that were super shrewd that we can all learn from, and then I'm gonna give you three lessons that I think we learned from this guy, and I hope it's a blessing to you. N shrewd thing number one. This crook was looking into the future. The manager, the crook, thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. He's, he's looking into the future. 
He sat down and he's thinking to himself, man, there's coming a moment when things aren't going to go very well. And in my opinion, too many Christians only live in the here and now. They never look ahead. They never look into the future. They don't think about being somewhat prepared for anything that might happen in the future. Look, you know the Bible says that there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is coming back again? It could, could be today. The Bible says that the rapture is going to happen tonight. Uh, Pastor Gordon Rummel's putting on a four-week series where he's going to look in depth at the end times. You ought to be here, 6 o'clock, right in this room. And the Bible says that God's going to come and take his bride, the church, all of us that are true believers, and take us out of here. But I, I can guarantee you, 99.3% of you haven't even thought about that until I brought it up right now. You woke up, you had your coffee, you had your breakfast, you read the newspaper, you might have even read the Bible, but you never thought about this incredible uh, future moment that's coming. And when you don't think about a moment like that in the future, well, guess what? You'll just keep living life the way you live it now. Do you ever think about the future as it relates to your finances? Let me tell you one thing that'll happen when you think about the future. It'll change the way you live today. It'll change the way you spend your money today if you really take a hard look into the future. Shrewd thing number, number two, this crook was planning things into the future. Not only did he look into the future, but he came up with a plan. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Beloved, this crook was not only looking ahead, but he was also planning ahead. He was planning into his future. He was planning what he was going to do when the day finally came when he was fired. Here's the bottom line. If you don't look into the future, you'll never take, you know, you'll never make any plans for the future, especially as it relates to financial planning. Let, let me give you an illustration just here at the church. We always are looking into the future. We look into the future, and as we look into the future, um, uh, a number of years ago, we knew that our air conditioning units were going to go out. To air condition this building, we, we don't have little units up there. They're big units, and they're expensive units. And so what we did was, as we looked into the future, and we thought to ourselves, man, those units are going to break down one of these days, we started to come up with a plan. Well, what if we put a little bit of money away this year? and a little bit of money away next year. Now, the first year was like spitting into the ocean. Those units are about 250K. So you put a little bit of money away, and you look at it, and you go, man, that's not much money. That ain't going to do much. And then the next year, you put some money away, and then the third, fourth, fifth. And before you know it, you, you got a pretty good pile of money. In fact, the pile of money is so big, you can be tempted to go, well, let's use it for something else. But we don't do that because we had a plan. And then guess what? They went out. I remember the weekend when they went out. Saturday night, everybody was doing this. Units are out. Call up the company. They came out here, replaced all the units, and wasn't even a hiccup on, on, on the radar screen here. None of you would have known about it. We didn't have to stand up here and say, help, because we thought about it, you see. 
We, we looked into the future, we planned, and we put money away. We have to resurface the, the parking lot here all the time. I mean, th this piece of property is used all the time with the school and all that goes on here. And we know every three or four years, got to resurface the property. We've looked into the future. We've come up with a plan. And we put money away every single month. That way, when we resurface it, it's not that big a deal. Kind of makes some sense, doesn't it? Shrewd thing number three is this crook then acted quickly. He took action. He pulled the trigger on the plan. So he invited each person who owed the money to his employer to dis, you know, discuss the situation. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly. I've looked into the future. I got a plan and we got to do it now. There's no time to waste here. He quickly changed it to 400 gallons. The, 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 this is the key. The guy acted while he had time. He, he looked ahead and knew something bad was on the horizon, which then led him to plan ahead. And after he came up with a plan, he acted quickly. <laughs> About, I don't know, 20 years ago, I was diagnosed as a diabetic. In fact, the guy that diagnosed me was here last hour. And uh, there used to be uh, more of me to love. <laughs> and I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, here's the deal. He helped me look into the future. I remember the line. He said, if you don't lose weight, somebody else is going to raise your children. Oh. Well, th thanks for helping me look into the future. So when looking into the future, when you hear something like that, then, then the next thing is, is you got to come up with a plan on how you're going to lose the weight. And I remember I came up with my plan. Now, looking into the future is pretty easy. Coming up with a plan is pretty easy. It's executing the plan. I had wrote down, okay, I'm not going to drink any more Cokes or Pepsis or anything like that. I wrote down, and in fact, John Kitchell was sitting out there. He said, you, you can't drink orange juice anymore. What? What are you talking about? I live on orange juice. You cut me open. You know, orange juice shoots out of me, man. That's all I drank. No, it's full of sugar, man. You can't, can't eat that stuff. You can't drink that stuff. There, there, there it was. Here's how I was going to lose weight. Some of you had that plan for decades, haven't you? It's the third step that's pretty difficult. See, you look ahead, you plan ahead, and then you got to act on the plan. Otherwise, nothing really happens. Nothing. We could have looked into the future and said, hey, man, the air conditioning units are going out. Boy, the plan is let's save money every year for the next 10 years, and then we'll replace them. And if we never act on it, we'd all sit around and go, man, what a bummer. What's the problem? God, how come you're not meeting my needs? Then we start blaming God for it. Basically, what Jesus is saying to you as a follower of Christ is this. In light of everything that's going to happen in eternity, you need to do the same thing that this crook did with your wealth, your money, your possession, possessions. You need to look ahead. you got to plan ahead. And then you need to do it now. You need to take some action while you still have the opportunity. 
In fact, in a very simplistic way, this is basically God's investment strategy is you look ahead, you come up with a plan, and then you act on the plan. That, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Now let me take a second and talk about a, a great ministry here at Big Valley Grace called Compass, or Managing Your Finances God's Way, which is all about learning to be better stewards of what God has given you. You see, one of the things that I do here at Big Valley Grace is I just don't want to unload a bunch of information on you and then say, well, good luck. Here's the practical piece. You can go to our website and get signed up. It starts January 26th. You can go right outside these doors, and Dave Moore is going to be out there. You can get signed up. And it's my understanding that there's only so many spots left, but here's the deal. Na navigating your finances God's way, Compass Ministries, is all about looking ahead, coming up with a plan, and then pulling the trigger on the plan so that you can better have your finances in order. It's really all about biblical principles on how to manage what God has given you, how to manage the piece of pie God's given you. And I don't care whether you got a, a little piece, a medium piece, or a ginormous piece. You can be making minimum wage, you ought to go to this class. Some of you I know are millionaires, you ought to go to this class. You need to learn biblical principles on how to manage the piece of pie that God in his sovereignty has given you. I guarantee it'd be a a huge blessing to you. And like I said, you can go online or just go out here after the, the message. Now, with all of this said, here's the deal. So I gave you these three shrewd things. Now let me give you three quick lessons that, I, that, that, that we learned here. Lesson number one is you need to use a portion of your wealth to help other people hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Look at verse nine. Verse nine. Everybody look at it. Verse nine. Here's the lesson, Jesus says. Here it is. Use your worldly resources, your money, your cars, your house, whatever it is, whatever your piece of pie is, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then your earthly possessions are gone, or when they're gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Beloved, Jesus isn't saying that you can somehow bribe God or buy your way into heaven or anything like that, or that you can pay for your salvation. The Bible's crystal clear. How you get to heaven is simply by giving your life to Christ, and it's an act of, of faith. What Jesus is saying is that you need to invest part of your wealth in ways that will impact people for eternity. You need to use your wealth for other people's spiritual benefit. That's what he's saying here. Warren Worsby put it this way. He said, quote, during this brief life, we have the opportunity to use wealth to make friends for God, friends who will meet us in heaven. Look, look, here's how it works. Every time that little green basket goes by and you drop your offering in there, that moment of joy, that offering goes to uh, buy material for all of our children's ministries. And little boys and girls will come to know Jesus Christ today in our Sunday school classes. Some of that money goes to our youth department so they can help mentor uh, young men and young women. And every year there are many, many young people who give their life to Jesus Christ. Some of those shekels go to our Celebrate Recovery Ministry 
where people come in here and they don't know God from Howard Hughes, man, and they walk in here, they just need some help, and the next thing you know, they invite Jesus Christ into your life. Some of those shekels go to uh, our Good Sam ministry, where people who, who have fallen on difficult times are, were able to feed them and take care of them, and they always ask, why are you doing this? And we get to tell them about Jesus Christ, and probably more people come to faith out at Good Sam than even in this room. Some of your shekels go to Oliviana's closet. Uh, some of your shekels go to, to put on Christmas musicals. And, and some of those people at our Christmas musicals give their life to Christ. Some of uh, those shekels that you give go to our Easter program. And, and some of you don't realize this, but every one of the songs that we sang today, every one of them cost us money. Every song we sang over in the venue cost us money. They're not free. The people that write those songs, we have to pay a royalty to them. But there are times when people are sitting out here and they hear those songs and God uses those songs to soften their hearts and open their eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And they receive the Lord. Some of your offering go to uh, uh, produce a radio program that goes all over the valley. I can't tell you how many people I meet out in the Welcome Center who go, man, uh, I'm a truck driver and I was driving down the I-5. And I've been listening to your radio program, and I want you to know I pulled over at a truck stop and gave my life to Jesus Christ one day. I just wanted to come in here and meet you. Bot Radio Network doesn't say, you know what, you're such a good guy. I'm going to give you free radio time. No, it costs money. It costs money to produce the program, put it all together in a way that Bot Radio even says they'll, they'll accept it. Let me tell you something. When that little green basket goes by, that's how you are fulfilling verse 9. Look again at that great passage. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What a, what's he saying there? There's a whole other piece to this that's so beautiful. What Jesus is saying is, is this. When you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, you ought to use your wealth down here in such a way that when you get there, people come running up to you going, man, hey, Rick, oh, man, I've been wanting to meet you. Thank you so much. I'm in heaven because of you. And I might go, uh, uh, I don't even know who you are, man. Who are you? Well, I know you don't know who I am. But every time you put some money in that offering basket, some of it went to the youth department, and they did a camp once, and they took me to that camp, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ at that camp. And if not for you, maybe I wouldn't be here right now. In other words, I now have a friend in eternity. My wealth down here made me friends for eternity's sake where the shrewd man was simply making friends down here on planet Earth, Jesus said, no, 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 don't worry about that. You worry about having friends up in heaven. And I can guarantee you, those that give here to Big Valley Grace, you are going to get to heaven. And there are going to be all kinds of people that run up to you, man, hey, man, I've been waiting for you to get here, man. Thanks. Thank you so much. I'm in heaven because of you. And I just want to say thanks, and you're going to do the same thing. You're going to go, man, I don't even know who you are. And you're going to say, I, I know you don't. But when you gave, it went to put on that Christmas musical. 
And at that Christmas musical, I came. I didn't want to come, but I came. And man, my eyes were open to the truth, and I gave my life to Christ. You gave, and you were able to do that big Easter thing you do there. And I went when you're mocking, you know, everybody thinking it was dumb. And when I got there, whoa, my eyes were opened. And I gave my life to Christ. You know, when you put money in that offering, it went to disciple some people. And those people then one day met me for coffee, and they shared with me their the claims of Jesus Christ, and I gave my life to, 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 to the Lord. You see, that's what verse nine is all about. Verse nine is all about you taking whatever the piece of pie is that God's given you, and you invest some of it into getting people into the, 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 the kingdom of God. Now, let me give you three thoughts here real quick. Three thoughts about your giving. Number one, always give to God first. That's number one. You give to God first. You don't pay all your bills and you know, buy all your stuff and then say, well, okay, God, here's what I got left over. The Bible has lots to say about an attitude like that, and it's not good. God doesn't want your leftovers. When the Father looked down and saw your need for a Savior, he didn't send his leftovers. He gave you the best he had, and that was his son. And the Bible says throughout it, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. He doesn't say, I want it all. It's all his. Remember, he gave you everything. You're just a manager of his stuff. And what he says is, you always bring me a gift. You start with me. Because I want to make sure you remember who owns it. You're just the manager. So you always begin with a gift from God. Number two, you provide for your family. Order, it always goes in. You give to God and you can provide for your family. Because of the fall, you know, we gotta work. We gotta put a roof over our heads. We got an apartment, got a home, whatever it is. You gotta, you gotta put clothes on your back and you, know, you gotta eat and all those things. So, so you give to God, then you provide for your family. Number three, you help others. Part of God's expectation is that your money would be put into circulation, into circulation in, in helping others that are in need. There's a really interesting passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. That makes sense, right? Doing something useful with his own hands. This also makes sense, but it's the next phrase that's really interesting. Paul says that he may have something to share with those in need. You see, yes, you're to give to God. Yes, you're to take care of your family. But God also says this, when you get that paycheck of yours, he's always working on your flesh. No. Give to God, yeah. take care of your family, and now you make sure you always have something to help others. You see, don't always look to the church to meet all the needs of the people. We meet a lot of needs. 250 new people every month. New people every month we help with groceries, all that kind of stuff. We're helping people here Monday through, you know, Sunday, uh, counseling. You know, we don't punch in, punch out. There's, the phones are always ringing. There's always stuff going on, and we love doing that. The pastors, and we're always helping people, and the reason why we can help so many people is because of your faithful giving. But the Bible says that you're also to have some money where maybe there's a single gal in your neighborhood and she's gutting it out, busting her hump, you know, got three kids and trying to make it and her car breaks down. 
And we help a lot of people like that. But maybe God's going to put it on your heart. You be the one that helps them. Use some of your own money to help somebody else that's in need. Maybe you know somebody that's ran out of food. They lost their job. They, they, they don't have any groceries. You can call the church and we, we'll help. But maybe the Lord's going to put it on your heart to use some of the shekels you made. You just help them. So I kind of laid that out as simple as can be. You give to God, you take care of your family, and you help others. And by the way, I didn't give you any percentages here, by the way. I don't think God's all that interested in how much you bring to him. I think he's interested in this piece. He's given you all that you have. You're just simply his manager. And when you recognize that, you know what? It doesn't matter what you bring because, whoa, it's all his anyway. And God, you, you saved me from, 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 you know, an eternity uh, uh, living in hell. Here's my gift. Now I'm going to take care of my family. And now I'm going to have some money that I can help others. And by the way, the odds are pretty good that none of these things are going to happen the way they ought to if you don't have a plan, right? A lot of these, these things just aren't, aren't going to happen unless you get intentional about them, which then bring us, brings us back to compass, managing your finances God's way. I know if you're a believer in here, you're going, man, I want to do that. I want to give to God and take care of my family and help others. I want to do that, but my finances are so messed up. I get it. They're not going to get better on their own. I don't have any pixie dust I can throw over your head, make everything better today. But I can encourage you to go to a class where you can begin to learn some things. I can guarantee you, every soul that's ever been through our financial classes, every one of them, would probably say, you know what, it was hard. I, I heard some hard things. But we looked into the future, we made a plan. And we pulled the trigger on the plan. And wow, has our life, our family changed. All of a sudden, they're able, they're beginning to experience that life that Jesus came to, 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 to give them. All right, n n number two, just, I'm just going to give you the fill in the blanks, okay? How you handle your wealth affects your spiritual life. That's a lesson we learn here. Jesus said if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, if you're untrustworthy with the piece of the pie that God gives you here, who's going to trust you with the true riches of God? Most Christians in America just have no clue about this biblical principle. They're not aware of the fact that how they use their money impacts their, their spiritual life. There is a direct correlation with how you handle your finances and your spiritual well-being. Jesus said, where this is, that's where this goes. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart goes. And because Jesus said that, I want you to know, oftentimes when people will come to me, most of the time, people come to me and say, Pastor Rick, there's, there's something wrong in my life. I'm not growing in my faith. I seem to be stuck spiritually. I, I've got the spiritual blues. My, my walk with Christ seems very shallow. I don't feel God's power in my life. When I hear things like that, 
Most of the time, what I say to them is, I want you to check your checkbook. Because often when a person is stuck spiritually or isn't growing in their faith, there's a problem in the area of finances, especially they're giving to God. Either they've stopped giving to God altogether, or they only give a token amount, or they haven't changed the amount they give for a long period of time. In other words, there's no longer a sacrifice. And God, God's word says, hey, you, you, where you put your money, that's where this goes. I didn't make that up. Jesus said that. In fact, let me, let me give you an illustration. How many of you have ever heard of a company, and I've done this before, called, I don't know, Workday? My, my family has. We, we know that company because we have a family member who works there. Workday. No, nobody. Nobody. Here's the deal. The reason why none of you know anything about Workday is because you don't have any money in their stock. So what do you care but if I had you do this, if I had all of you go home today and write a check for $1,000 or $5,000 or $10,000 and tonight you'd call your broker and I want you to buy $1,000 or $5,000 worth of workday stock, let me tell you what would happen on Monday. You had the paper open? No. How are they doing? Is the stock up? Is the stock down? Sell, 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 sell. Buy more, buy more. Why? Where this goes, your money goes, this just follows right along. Where you put your money is where your heart goes. You don't care about workday because you got no money there. Put money there. I guarantee you, you'll care deeply about it tomorrow. And the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. You don't put any money towards the things of God. Your heart's not going to go there. You can show up here every week and you know, listen to the messages and come to conferences and all of that but you'll have a cold heart towards God. It's when you begin to give. One of the reasons why my wife and I love to give is because we know what it does. We fulfill verse nine. We know there are lots of friends we're gonna meet in heaven, many of them we don't know. And it keeps us close to the Lord. It keeps our hearts close to God. And so to write those checks uh, every other week, we just write the check. We just, we just give. Because we, we understand the, 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 the principle. In lesson number three, real, real quick, there, there's a big, huge, important decision that everybody's got to make, and that's, you know, what are you going to love more, God or, or money? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for you're either going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and, and money. It's impossible. You can't miss what, what this verse is saying. Listen to me. Listen. Money, wealth, um, is, a, is a great servant, but it's a lousy God. In my family, the money that we have, the, the piece of the pie, the wealth that we have is an incredible servant to us. We don't serve it. It serves us. It's simply a tool. And when money becomes a God in your life, let me tell you something, wow. It's not a, good, not a good thing. You see, when it comes to money management, the, the, the heart of the problem is the, is the problem 
of, of the heart. And all of us have to make the choice about what we're going to love more. Do I love God more than I love money? Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, for the love of money, the love of money, not just money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Look, at God's not opposed to wealth. There, there's absolutely nothing wrong with money. It's, it's neutral. It's neither bad nor good. A lot of people in the Bible were extremely wealthy. Abraham was probably a, a billionaire in, in our terms. Job was the wealthiest man of his time. David and uh, Solomon were both super wealthy. We know that Barnabas was wealthy. Matthew was wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea, the, the one who gave Jesus his tomb, was extremely wealthy. God's not opposed to wealth, but he's very much opposed to the misuse or the abuse of wealth. And so God gives us some incredible thoughts as it relates to wealth. And I think it's interesting that he used the story of just a crook, a sinful person. And he uses that story to couch some principles or lessons for us to, to, to learn from. So here's the deal. I want us, those that call Big Valley Grace their home, to be a, a family who, of, of believers who looks ahead, plans ahead, and then pulls the trigger. And for some of you, I know you've looked ahead, and I know you've planned ahead, and I know you've taken action, but some of you haven't, and maybe the crown class is going to be the place for you. Take advantage of that. Now, everybody on the venue, stand up. Everybody in here, stand up real quick. And I want to say these three things out loud together. Okay? Everybody stand up. Over in the venue. Here we go. Out loud together. Number one. Look ahead, plan ahead, take action on the plan. That was horrible. Here we go. Look ahead, plan ahead, and then take action on the plan. Why don't you close your eyes in here? Close your eyes over in the venue. And I'm going to ask Pastor Rick Thompson to come and just close our time. I hope that some of these thoughts rattle around in your mind. I want you to experience that incredible life Jesus came to give you. And I know many of you are, but unfortunately too many of you aren't. Let's learn from this crook. Let's learn from this shrewd man. Rick, would you pray?